Welcome to Diggin' the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Well, hello, John. Good to see you again, as always. Hi, Doug. Yeah, we've uh, had a two-week, I wouldn't call it a vacation. I was just too busy, and maybe you were too, but it was like last week was impossible. So. Life comes in sometimes, oh, you know. God, too it often. It happens. Yeah, <laughs> it just happens. Otherwise, we just spend this whole time chatting away, you know. It's that's, like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to have the right equipment where you are and things like that, which sometimes well, there gets, is that, yes. gets in the way. It's, yeah. it's more than just a chat. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, you know. That's right. And it was funny because where I was staying, there, there was, you know, actually there was a very good microphone, I think, but I just couldn't, like... There was too much else going on. I, I, yeah. I couldn't deal with it. So, and I didn't have any headsets. That was the main problem. So, yeah. Um, no worries. Which, yeah. And and those of you that have never like uh, done podcasts or watched vi visually watched a podcast, if you have visually watched a podcast, you'll notice that people are wearing headphones. Yeah. Uh, to to block out feedback and it's better audio, clearer yeah. audio. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so the topic today is, and it's interesting, sati, right? This word that generally we translate as mindfulness, the actual translation is memory or remembering? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's basically memory or remembrance. The Pali word sati uh, basically is cognate to the Sanskrit word smriti, which, which literally means memory um, or remembrance. Uh, a, f a few years ago, maybe five years ago, there was sort of a scholarly back and forth between Bhikkhu Analyo, who was a great scholar of the early material, and um, another scholar named Brian Levman, who were sort of arguing both sides of the issue of, as to whether memory, which is, again, the original meaning of the term, really makes any difference to mindfulness practice in the sense that did the Buddha or whoever it was you know, before the Buddha, probably it was the Buddha himself. Uh, did he change? Did he actually, literally, change the meaning of the term so so that memory really doesn't make any difference nowadays? I mean, mm -hmm. to mindfulness practice, it's sort of it's sort of a sidelight. Or as Brian Levman was arguing in a number of articles, is is memory actually more central to mindfulness practice than we we sort of let on? Right, right. And uh, it was it was a very interesting. We don't, I won't get into all the arguments because it's it's kind of tedious. But you right. know, because they they argue about everything. But <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, there are some interesting points which I mean to start with that Brian made, which is that in the pre-Buddhist Vedic tradition, uh, the, the the Vedas and then the Brahmanas, which are the sort of commentaries on the Vedas, which you know, which the Buddha grew up with or would have grown up with. Uh, this idea of memory, shmriti, was was very important because it it, it um, highlighted the difference between the the Vedas that were uh, heard, which is called shruti, and the commentaries, which were smriti or remembered. So hmm. there was, I mean, the memory versus hearing, hearing versus memory was a a very uh, uh, salient distinction in the pre-Buddhist sort of uh, Vedic milieu that the Buddha would have grown up in. So, this term smriti, this term uh, that would have meant memory or remembrance, it wasn't just like, uh, you know, just any term. It was a term of real religious um, 
importance, uh, spiritual importance. So I think what what Levman is saying is, you know, we have to keep that in mind that it's not he's not just using any old term here when he right. uses the term uh, sati. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, you know, I mean, then we have to think about, you know, okay, I mean, I think to what extent when we're doing mindfulness practice is memory involved? Sure. Um, and that sort of is where these two scholars uh, <laughs> are in disagreement. <laughs> well, what's also interesting, I mean, on, on any number of levels, even before we get into meditation and mindfulness, when you realize in terms of memory, for instance, that we're talking about pre-literate societies for mm-hmm. the most part, right? Sure. I mean, and, and so all of the, all of the suttas, right, were remembered, Absolutely. were memorized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, yeah, of course, that was, you know, the most people didn't write until much, much later, right? Mm-hmm. In, in most societies, um, or most cultures. Writing was a, you know, it's relatively, I don't want to say recent, but it, I mean, it certainly didn't come until later in the, you know, in the first millet, in the first thousand years of our history. Uh, sorry, after Christ or yeah. common era, whatever we call it now. Well, I mean, there was writing systems back. There were writing systems. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of who actually wrote, mm. you know, wouldn't, would, like you and I would not, well, you might have written, but I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> written, you know, you know, because we weren't know about scholarly, me. you know, but, or, or you know the, the 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 religious people, the spiritual the God, um, teachers and other types of people would have written, but otherwise people wouldn't. It, and in fact, you know, I, as you as some of you know, or at least Doug knows, you know, I had a long involvement in the music industry, and and one of my clients is a medievalist. <laughs> We're actually having dinner tonight. Actually, he's in from France, um, and. He he studies his his place of study was basically pre literate music. In other words, music learning how to to, to produce music before notes were written. Mm. But one of his other things was is um, he's very well known for the story of Beowulf uh, ah. and, and mm-hmm. singing it as it would have been sung because it was never written down. Beowulf wasn't literature; it was a story. And of it course, beca- yeah. the moment it was written down, it became something else. Mm-hmm. And the, the point being that if something was really important, you wouldn't write it down. You would remember it. You would, you would memorize, memorize it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then, you know, we, we often use the phrase learning by heart. And that's a really, you know, when you think about that phrase, right? It's like it, it becomes an embodiment. So how does that play a role in our meditation practice and in our 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 embodiment of mindfulness? Mm-hmm. A number of years ago, when I started working quite intensely with as part of this program that was called the Dharmapala program, which was um, guided by two former monastics, Kitasaro and Tanisara, we were asked to memorize. This was a Chan mantra. The, the great compassion mantra, which is, I don't know, I think 60 some odd lines or 80 some odd lines in a kind of Sanskrit version. And some people were able to memorize it. You know, I, I memorized parts of it or, you know, it's like, it's easier to memorize when you're chanting it with a bunch of other people. Yeah. Trying to do it on your own is really hard, but I did memorize smaller mantras 
um, you know, also in, in that language. And there's something about the process of memorizing and remembering and, and learning by heart mm -hmm. when you bring it in that is, in a sense, I mean, it's certainly a mindfulness practice, but it's also this idea of through that practice, through the through the recollecting, say, of a mantra, and of course, the, in the I, I think in the Hindu traditions there are many mantras, and and later certainly later Buddhist traditions, right? So it's like by recollecting those mantras, you're you're generating uh, an energy, and you're also fully present, because it's hard to do that without being fully present. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is simply, you know, and this I, I remind students of all the time, is just remembering to, to be mindful. You know, so mm -hmm. it's like we have to recall. We yeah. have to, you know, we, we know when we're not, then we have to remember to be. Right. Recall the instructions yeah. of, of whatever it is that we're meditating on. Where it gets not necessarily confusing, but brings in something else is, is it helpful to recall something from the past, mm. you know, which is beautiful or which is a reminder of a way you were or a way someone was, or, you know, we recall images of the Buddha, for instance, or we, you know. Right. So well, there are explicit uh, instructions on recollection. The, uh, re recollecting the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha right. are explicit meditation instructions. And and I don't think there's any disagreement between right. the scholars about those. Right. I think the question is really about the mindfulness practice in particular. I mean, there's also, I mean, as you were saying, mantras, there's also, I mean, while mantras per se didn't really exist in the early tradition, there certainly was a tradition of what is known as chanting together, the, the Sangiti Sutta, which is a very famous sutta in the early tradition. Uh, it demonstrates that where Sariputta led a group of, I don't know how many, hundreds, whatever, monastics in a, a long chant together, which is sort of like a, a, a compact addition of the Dharma in total by mm -hmm. numbers, you know, the, oh, yeah. the ones sure. and the twos and so on. Yeah. And that's an example of just this kind of chanting together a kind of a mantra over and over again so that you learn uh, the, the, the Dharma, that you learn yeah. the specifics of the Dharma. Yeah, and that, that still goes on. Yeah, I mean, when, sure. when I know, you know, when I was on retreat in November with Ajahn Suchido and there were three or four other monks, I mean, we would do puja twice a day. You know, we would have it in, most of us hadn't memorized it yet, but that the, the puja basically is recollecting the basic teachings. You mm -hmm. know? And and there's great value in that um, on so many levels. Not only does it remind you of the teachings, but there is an embodiment of that as you chant. And, and that's, you know, really a value of chanting as well because it's an embodied practice. But as the, the words become, and mind you, well, we were doing it in both languages, but whether they're words that you understand or words that, you know, are in a foreign language, but there's still something that you know about them, you know, that holds great value in one's practice. And of course, this is not at all <laughs> exclusive to Buddhist practice, obviously. Sure. I mean, in Jewish practice, you know, there are many, many prayers that are memorized and, and you know, monastics and Catholic traditions, the same thing. And so there is this value of 
memory and and learning by heart, which is this kind of embodied practice. And it gets us out of our thinking mind because you can't really think <laughs> when you're chanting something that's repetitive in particular. You know, there's mm -hmm. no thought that comes out. And so there's, there's that. Um, but then there is this kind of recollecting a beautiful view or recollecting a beautiful moment or recollecting, you know, how does that play into our mindfulness practice? When is it helpful to do that? The recollecting in a loving kindness practice, for instance, you know, where we recollect dear friends or we recollect a neutral person or we recollect, I mean, this is a later teaching. Mm -hmm. Sure. Or, you know, or a reinterpretation, I suppose, of, of the original teaching. <clears throat> you know, that's part of a, that's a recollective practice. Mm -hmm. Although, um, interestingly, the, the sort of the earlier teaching on, on, Loving kindness was this sort of radiation of loving kindness out in directions, which right. which wouldn't really necessarily involve any recollection. It's just trying to generate. Uh, now, of course, it may be difficult for you. You may need some recollection in order to get there. Right. But at least the instruction itself doesn't speak of, uh, about recollecting anything. It just speaks about radiating right. this uh, yeah. this uh, emotional. Uh, sense this emotional feeling in certain directions which is i mean interesting it's a, it's a, it's a quite a different practice and i mean to be fair to i mean analio his i think his point if i can uh uh be fair to him i, I know in other words if i can i, I mean you know i don't i don't want to speak for him but my Hopefully understanding he maybe he listens to us maybe, maybe he does i, I doubt it I, I think we'd hear from him if he did yeah um he's very busy he's very very busy <laughs> But in any event, his I think his point is that, you know, whereas uh, Brian Levman was saying, look, part of what we're recollecting when we're doing uh, mindfulness practice is we're recollecting the instructions, the Dharma that keeps us, you know, practicing properly. Analyu says in, in reaction to that, but, you know, look, when, when we're actually sitting, focusing on the breath, mindfulness of breathing being, you know, sort of the, the primary mindfulness practice, there's nothing that's recollection that's being recollected at that moment. It's just being with the breath. And if you're recollecting something, you're really sort of not doing the instructions properly. You're just you're you're not with the breath. And there's truth to that too. Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, they're, they're sort of to my mind, they're sort of they both have sort of both sides of the same coin in a, in a sense. Well, there's also, <clears throat> and I can't remember if we've done a podcast on you know, well, what does it mean to be in the moment? Mm. Right. If you're in the moment, you shouldn't be recollecting anything because you're in the moment, right? If you're exactly yet, the recollection is happening in, in the, the moment, moment. <laughs> so it's like uh, you know what is you know is the moment everything or is the moment just this? You know, and it's like yeah. so. Yeah, it's it's true. And also, I think Analia was saying, look, you know, you know, you don't have to think anything about the Buddha's instructions because people can be mindful in MBSR contexts where they don't know anything about the Buddha's instructions, but you know, I guess they right. know the, the the instructions of the mindfulness teacher, but, you know, I mean. Right. You know, I mean, but they're rooted in the Buddhist instructions, even though sure. the language is different. And and I think that in those, in that context, you know, it's really about remembering to practice, remembering to be mindful, remembering right. um, why you're sitting, you know, remember, in other words, there's, there's a lot that goes into memory, right? Because it's also about, in, it, it can be, it can help with intention. It can help exactly. with um, doubt, um, the hindrance of doubt. And it's like, oh yeah, recollect someone who, 
I don't know, an image of the Buddha or an image of somebody you know who practices and, and has, you know, transformed himself or herself, you know, through practice. And, uh, you know, that kind of recollecting can be really supportive. Mm -hmm. And then I was just funny. I was just looking up at a picture of one of my dear friends who died a number of years ago very suddenly. And, you know, I, you know, if I, if I need this sometimes value in recollecting a person who made you feel a certain way, or, I mean, there are all sorts of ways where, where memory can play into our practice in a, in a very beneficial way. I think where it's not beneficial, of course, is when, you know, the memory is such, and, and this often will happen for me at the beginning of a retreat, <clears throat> where memories will arise that, you know, just create either desire or aversion. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, whoa, you know, and, and, and these are just random. <laughs> yeah. But they come up and then I get stuck in them and replay them. And, you know, it's like, so it's like, that's where it's not helpful. And then it's like, okay, remember to come back to the breath. <laughs> yeah. You know, remember to come back to walking, remember to come back to just sitting, whatever it is, you know, so... Yeah, there's a whole aspect to memory that is really not helpful at all to mindfulness practice, which involves um, these kind of general, uh, I don't know if that the word is episodic memories, but just, ep you know, memories of things that happened in the past that we get into these stories and we start remembering some long thing that happened to it. I mean, you, know, you sort of get caught in it. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. then you're off to the races and you're oh, just, yeah. you're a million miles away. and. Yeah. Indeed. I think that's sort of the sort of thing that Analia may be sort of pushing back on is that, you know, there's a whole lot of memory that really we have to leave out. And he's right. I mean, you of know, course. Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, I think memory is useful. I mean, it, it's, uh, I think memory is necessary in practice because it brings us back. You know, there's that, we all know that moment that sort of, you know, when you're off somewhere a million miles away, there's that moment, that sort of split second where you think, oh, whoop, whoops, <laughs> I was supposed to be meditating. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, and that's, the, that's the, the memory, to me, that's the relevant one um, right, to right. mindfulness practice. Right. Not the other stuff, not yeah. the sort of, you know, stories. And well, so that's on. like, that's a, that's a form of des sense desire, too. It's like <clears throat> the mind wanting to be entertained, so it goes sure. back and replays movies and makes up movies and all sorts <laughs> yep. of things, yep. uh, which is entertaining, but of no value. Uh, before I forget, <laughs> I'd like to take a commercial break. Um, <laughs> and and just, not about coffee. <laughs> no, no, actually. Uh, so, for those of you that might be interested in, in uh, retreat practice, I have two retreats coming up. One is actually quite soon, and I should have promoted it a number of months ago. But this is a, a retreat out in Colorado at the Rocky Mountain Echo Dharma Retreat Center, which is an absolutely special, very special place. Um, and the retreat is with my friend Gulu Singh, who's a teacher at LA Inside and Spirit Rock. And the retreat is called Buddha Nature, Human Nature, Nature's Nature. Oh. Um, assuming the weather is good, it hasn't been so good in Colorado the last few weeks, but it looks like it's improving. Uh, most of the retreat will be out outdoors. Um, the Echo Dharma Retreat Center is specifically to, to, to bring our, uh, you know, our connection with nature very much into dharmic practice. And of course, you know, the monastics in the early traditions were always practicing in the forest. So, <clears throat> and the forests around this place are great and the views are beautiful and it's a very special place. And then later in the summer, um, 
Upaiti, my partner and I are doing a retreat at the Wan Center, which is also a gorgeous center, uh, just outside of Hudson. How do you spell that? W O N. It's Wan. a Wan Buddhism is a, mm-hmm. uh, sure. that is, is based there. I mean, it's their U.S. <clears throat> retreat center. Um, it's a Korean tradition, but mm. they rent the space out. Um, but it's just outside of Hudson with beautiful Hudson views and a uh, very exquisite center. And that, that retreat is the second week of August and it's called, and it's a six day retreat. <clears throat> it's called, um, elemental practice. So we'll be working with the, the six element practice. Very um, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in any of those, go to my website, johnaaron.net. Um, and you'll, you'll find information and then write me about it if you're interested, because we'll give a dig in the Dharma discount. <laughs> um, and, uh, they're both, well, they, they cost of course, but cause it costs to have a center. Um, sure. but if you've never been on retreat or if you, if you're looking for a different kind of retreat, um, and I have to admit the title of the first retreat I stole with permission from Ajahn Suchito, who has a book called. Buddha nature, human nature. And then I added on the nature's nature. Um, <laughs> so, all right, back to the show. Good, good. No, it sounds great. I, I, I like this discussion a lot because it, it actually clarifies some things in my own mind about it and, and, and it allowed me to recall the value of memorizing these mantras, you mm. know, and, and remembering these mantras and, and especially the long one, which I never really fully memorized. Partly because it's, it's, there's like when they're repetitions and they, you know, they're little patterns that change. It's like trying to get the music of the, of the language in my ear. And, you know, even though, you know, in my old days as a, when I was studying piano and, you know, I'd have no problem memorizing. Well, I wouldn't say I had no problem, but, you know, memorizing very long pieces of music. But there was a lot of other elements that helped you in that kind of memory. But the same thing is true with language, of course, and, and you know, chanting. And that's, I think, one of the values of chanting, which is a whole different discussion, is that it does allow you to, it helps the memory. Right? Yeah, and the music using, helps the memory exactly. too, I find. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah. if you have somebody who chants with a sort of a, a musical uh, intonation, I think yeah. it can help a lot it's to, very to me anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and as, as I was saying earlier, when you repeat these mantras in the mind, not necessarily out loud, but in the mind, and, and there's one in particular that I use a lot, you're fully present because you, you can't be otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can become automatic pilot if you're not careful. And that's, that's the other thing is like, you know, we can find ourselves in any point of our day, right, running on automatic pilot. And that's an important, that's a moment where memory, you know, remembering to wake up, you know, is, is essential. Yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting. I'm glad you brought this in. These, these are, I'm curious now to, to sort of listen to some of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I'll be doing a video on it uh, that'll be out uh, in a few weeks, probably a couple months anyways. It's going to be a while until mm-hmm. the video's out, but. I mean, I think it's an interesting topic because I think both uh, both Brian Levman and uh, Bikunalio have points to make, and and uh, I mean they're both you know serious scholars. Uh, I don't know Brian's uh, practice background, but I certainly know that Bikunalio has a very dis- deep practice background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, they both, as I say, they both have points to make because I think Bikunalio is correct that 
you know that there's that there's aspects of memory that are not helpful and in fact that when you're do when you're when you're in the practice when you're actually you know not off somewhere else but actually doing uh, you know the you're in the middle of a uh, mindfulness practice the mindfulness practice itself is not memory oriented it's it's oriented on what's right there in front of you let's say the breath or whatever and so to that extent you know the buddha's use of the word sati is is different i mean it's he's he's put a spin on it that's it's quite different mm-hmm. and you know i sort of wonder to what extent that came from him or came from somebody before him historically or whether he just you know he was very good at sort of redefining terms in his own way so right, maybe right. maybe he did you know yeah well at the same time recognizing the how people would also hear it so you yeah. have to you know think about that and and what is interesting of course is that as one is practicing Right. Memories come up, but memories coming up is different than remembering. Yeah. Because memories that arise are just basically thoughts from the past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can get locked into that as we were talking earlier. And, and, you know, that can create a real set of hindrances. And, and so that's one thing we are watchful of and, and remembering to be watchful of. Um, and so that, it's almost like reminder, you know, this is yeah. another way of thinking about it. So, yeah, remembering to come back, remembering to wake up, remembering. Mm-hmm. So, sati, memory. We will not memory. call it the, the four foundations, the four establishments of memory. We'll Have memory. Four, four <laughs> establish, establishments of mindfulness. Well, it, you could, you know. I mean, yeah. just it would uh, it would give the whole the term in English a whole different meaning. Yeah, for <laughs> a whole sure. different meaning, for I guess. Sure. Yeah. So. Thinking about memory, if you do remember, <clears throat> we like coffee. I remember uh, that. And uh, <laughs> we would greatly appreciate your support. Um, and and more than your support, financial support, actually, if you just go to our website and make some comments, it's really useful to us. And it's helpful. We like yeah. responding. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I rarely do that. So I understand that it's like one step away from the podcast. But it is. If, it is. Going to the website and, and finding the website, but, you know. If we've said something that has sparked your curiosity or sparked your disagreement. Agreement, disagreement, yeah, whatever. Yeah, please, please let us know. And while you're there, you can buy us a coffee. And If and, you feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, buy us a coffee. <laughs> Become uh, a member. Yeah. Okay, friends. Doug, until next time. Thanks a lot, uh, John. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at digginthedharma.com where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net and Doug at dougsdharma.com.